Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we, we interview uh, successful entrepreneurs and bring you tips on how to grow your business. I'm your host, Eric Su, and this week we are interviewing the CEO and founder of Buy Sell Ads, uh, Todd Garland. Todd, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How's it going? So, Todd runs a very successful, um, what we call it like a ad publishing company. What, what should we call this exactly? Uh, we call it an ad marketplace. Okay. Um, cool. So he runs an ad marketplace uh, where you know people can buy ads, uh, people can sell ads, um, and basically he started this company. You know, <clears throat> he took this company from zero dollars, zero million to one point five million, uh, working his nine to five job. Uh, and how many months did that take you, Todd? Uh, that was about eleven months. Cool. So eleven months and zero to one point five million while working a nine to five. Um, Todd, do you kind of want to give us an overview on you know why you decided to do this and when you decided to go full time with it? Yeah, sure thing. So my first thing would be to always take any number you hear with a grain of salt, right? So the 1.5 million is the run rate at the end of those 11 months. The actual revenue from February to for that it was about. I guess if I were to say, like, how did I do that? Um, number one, I just kind of did it. And number two, I built a product that people actually wanted. Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough that, like, what I was actually building is something that people did want. But that's really what it comes down to. Uh, do people want what you're building or not? And are they willing to pay for it? Um, if the answer is yes, then you just keep doing more of that, you know? Cool. And you kind of cut off there when you said something like 800 or whatever. Can you kind of repeat that part? Oh sure, it was uh, like eight hundred some odd thousand dollars um, okay. of actual uh, revenue. The run rate was uh, one point five million. And what was going on? What happened at the eleven month mark that you know made you decide that I'm going to do this full time? Yeah, you know, I think we had just gotten to the point where I could see the the growth was just continuing up and up and up and up and up. Um, I was having a hard time, you know, quite honestly. Keeping up with everything um, since I was also working a full time job, um, and uh, you know it's just it's it, it came to that point where I had to make that decision like is this something you're going to fully commit to, um, or are you going to leave all these people who are making all this money through you stranded? And I think the answer is really easy, you know. So, got it. Cool. So you know, working a nine to five and also starting a, a you know starting your own business that's you know something a lot of people want to do. Um, what did your daily routine look like? Sure. Um, so my daily routine was um, kind of wake up, answer as many support emails as I could in like that first hour um, after waking up. So I'd wake up at let's say 6 or 6.30 in the morning. Um, then I'd go to work. Um, is it breaking up on you, Eric? Um, it's actually okay for me right now. How about you? Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, and then, so I'd work all day, right? So um, all these things would build up over the course of the day. And then I'd get home um, and do the same thing. But usually right before I'd go to bed or right after I'd gone to bed. Um, you know, I'd work for like another hour to, to close as much stuff out. Um, the one thing I didn't do in that 11 months is I literally like did not iterate on the software at all. Um, which is kind of interesting because like today's thing is, you know, um, build that minimum viable product, iterate, iterate, iterate. Right. Um, so that first year we just didn't have time to iterate. So luckily like the main thing that we were doing, the main problem we were solving actually worked. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was another reason why why I made the jump is because there's 
all these other things we wanted to build. Um, our publishers and our advertisers had been requesting so many new features in those 11 months that once I did leave, we really just hit the ground running because we had so much stuff ready to build. Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. And you know, you you hit on that one point where you're talking about you know, quote unquote, going to sleep. Um, I know that you know when you in one of your presentations you talked about kind of you know tricking your wife into you, know, you going to sleep. So how did that work out for you? Um, I mean, it works well when you're uh, younger and uh, don't have children and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where like uh, we were both making sacrifices for the chance at uh, Bicycle Ads becoming something that could support our family. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't just me making the sacrifice, it was her as well. And I think that's the thing that a lot of entrepreneurs definitely need to understand is that like, um, you know, whoever their support system is, whether it be a girlfriend, wife, um, or family, or friends, right? Like somebody, it's not just them who's um, making sacrifices, it's everybody around them really, so. Right. So did she realize at any one point that you, you were quote unquote fake sleeping? Did she catch on? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. Uh, yeah. That's actually a really good tactic that I think I might implement myself. In one of these days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll see when they catch on. Um, cool. So, I mean, how are things going at buy, sell ads right now in terms of like revenue? How many people do you have on the team and all that? Sure. Um, I mean, you know, I'd say things are going well. Um, I hesitate to say things are going like great. Like I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, we're breaking every forecast and every estimate, things like that. Because um, it's just not realistic, right? Um, we set out this year hoping to hit um, 20 million in sales. Um, realistically, I think we're going to come in at about 18. Um, but you know, there's there's four months left, and so a lot of what we're doing right now is trying to figure out. Not only how we could make up an extra two million, but so how are we going to set ourselves up next year to do you know thirty or even forty? Um, the team size right now is twenty one. Um, we have a lot of uh, a lot of folks working on the product. There's there's a lot of new code being written every 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 single day. Uh, matter of fact, I just got done. We we're doing a release. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we're just looking to continue to build uh, the marketplace uh, as well as some uh, adjacent products to the marketplace uh, for both advertisers and publishers. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I'd say things are going things are going well. I'm very happy with uh, you know kind of where we're headed and uh, where we fit in in the marketplace. Cool, congratulations on that. Love the product. Um, so, you know, it sounds like you guys are very goal oriented, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs you know are unsure about how they should set goals or are very ambiguous about it. So how do you guys go about setting these you know, specific goals? You know what, I think it really comes down to like we just listen to our users uh, religiously. Um, it doesn't mean like uh, we don't have our own ideas and put our own things into it. We listen to our users and we listen to our instincts religiously. Um, I don't think we've necessarily been like the best at like setting goals and hitting them. I think we've always just been really realistic. Um, and I think that's very important for anybody starting a company because like you don't just magically go from like you know a million dollars in sales to like twenty or forty or fifty like right. um, it actually is hard to do and I know that it's so much fun for us to read those stories about the folks that make it seem like it's just magical and kind of happens um, but I mean you're you're really really working through a lot of tough times to reach those certain goals 
So I'd say the way we hit our goals is just by being realistic, you know? Um, yeah, which I think stems from us being a bootstrap company. Um, we haven't raised any money and, you know, the only people we answer to are our users and ourselves. And so I think that affords us also the opportunity, opportunity to be more realistic about what we're setting out to do in general. Right. So you bring up you know, a good point about you know, being bootstrapped and all that. You know, a lot of, uh, you, you see on TechCrunch today or you read a yes. lot of you know, uh, startup news that people are getting, you know, aiming to get their series rounds or they want to join like, an incubator and all that. Everyone wants funding, right? What's your advice to these entrepreneurs that are you know, very hell-bent on getting funding? Well, so if you know what you're going to do with the money and you like, actually have a good plan for what you're going to do with the money, then sure, raise, raise some money. Or if the money's easy to raise, right? I'm sure there's people who are going to say, like, oh, you shouldn't raise money if it's too easy to raise. Well, I say, you know, if somebody's going to give you money, like, take that money because you can probably figure out how to use it. The other thing, and the reason why we haven't raised any money is because I can't tell you if you give me, like, $10 million that I can turn it into 100 I can't, I, I have no way of doing that right now. Um, our user acquisition methods, like, aren't that sophisticated or reliable yet to actually do that. Once they are, I guarantee you I'll be the first person raising money. Um, but I don't know if that's ever if we're ever going to get to that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like with some companies, it's just not that secret form. There isn't a secret formula. Um, so I guess what I say to folks who think they need to raise money is, you know, uh, the money is like more of a curse than any kind of a blessing. Um, and you know, you're gonna have pretty. It's like. If you can't get far enough to the point where you don't need to raise money, um, then like maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. If it's a business that isn't capital intensive, right? Like us building software for the the, the, in, in the market where it just isn't capital intensive. Like it's easy for us to make money. But if you're let's say the old company I used to work at HubSpot, like you need a lot of cash to get to the point where you have the momentum and like you know. Um, team and company size to actually make serious revenues, you know? Um, and so they're a company that had to raise money, right? Right. Um, um, you know, a company like HubSpot, you, you kind of have like a new product, you're breaking into a new marketplace, um, you kind of do need like this funding to kind of, you know, go all in and acquire these users really quickly. Um, something like, you know, a buy-sell ads, um, you know, you already have like that revenue coming in, it's not a super like new like concept or anything. It's okay to be bootstrapped and you know it's, it almost sounds like funding at some times can be an unnecessary burden on your shoulders and I certainly felt that way when I worked at startups it's just like oh investors are breathing down your neck like what are you doing right now what are you going to grow and all that so it, it sounds like bootstrapping is it takes a little bit of the stress off your shoulders right I mean I think it, it really depends like what kind of company you're trying to build um, as well you know like for us um, you know I've got to admit like Myself and not many people, or uh, basically everybody at Buysell Ads, um, we didn't come from advertising backgrounds. Like we weren't already ingrained in the industry and had this like strong passion for online advertising specifically. What we have is we have a passion for solving problems, and advertising just so happens to be the problem we're looking to solve. But you know, we could go out and probably raise some money, right? Like we could go out, do that whole thing. Um, and tell a very different story and stuff like that. But like, for us, you know, another thing that drives us as well is being able to do something in an unconventional way. So like, there's a little bit of a rebel in each person that works at Buy Sell Ads that says, you know, 
okay, everybody's saying like you need to raise this amount of money and um, you need to do it with a team in the office and all these things, right? And so part of what we're trying to do is to like prove that wrong as well. Like we think that we can become, let's say, a $100 million company without raising any money and we think we can do it with having a distributed team with, without having like a central office that everybody works from. And so like there are those other things that motivate us as well um, because, you know, in that case, like not many people are actually doing that. Like you don't see many distributed teams that build huge businesses. Um, and so that's another thing where we're like, well, why not? And so like proving people wrong is actually a very strong motivator for myself personally and also a lot of other folks on the team. Um, it's more fun, you know, it's more fun to do things in unconventional ways. So. Totally agree with you. Um, I want to dive into the kind of the distributed thing, distributed team thing, because um, mm -hmm. we kind of had that experience when I was at Tree House, you know, massively distributed team. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you, how do you go about, you know, hiring the right people? Like, you don't get to meet them face to face and all that. Like, what's your criteria for hiring? Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, the people that, um, that we hire primarily, like many of them we, we've never even spoken to uh, by voice. Um, um, it's not everybody, but some of them like that. Um, but I think in general, whether you're hiring somebody in person or remote, um, hiring it, it is a difficult thing to do. Um, for us, what has proven to be the most effective way of hiring is really just understanding whether or not somebody is a good communicator. Um, and I have to credit this to Bicelot's co-founder, Nathan Wong, um, because that's, this is really like, this is his idea um, that's proven to be very true. Um, people who communicate very well via email, Skype, no matter what it may be, um, even if they're not the most skilled person on the team, um, end up being like better contributors in general because they can just communicate that much more effectively. And with a distributed team, that's like communication rules all, right? Like if you can't communicate on a distributed team, like there's no way around that because like you're on Skype, you're on chat, like you're on email, like you can be very, very articulate and effective at communicating. And so that's the really the main skill that we look for is people who are um, uh, good communicators. Awesome. And do you guys have a must-have tools you guys use for managing and marketing? Um, you know, we spend most of our day in um, uh, Campfire by 37 Signals, which I'm sure a lot of folks use. Um, the product management software we use is called Unfuddle. Um, but I'd say Campfire and Skype and email are really kind of our primary tools that we use. Okay. Cool. So let's uh, dive into kind of the user acquisition side of things. So how did you acquire your first, let's say, 100 customers? You knock on their door. You know, like that's quite literally how you have to do it. Um, we're going through the same process right now with a new product we launched. Uh, it's an ad-serving product um, called Bicelots Pro for publishers. And that's what we're doing. We're reaching out to different publishers. Um, we're figuring out if it's something that they would be interested in. If they are, um, you know, we, we work very hard to onboard them on the product. I can't remember where I, said, where I read this the other day, but somebody said, you know, you spend for your first, you know, whatever number of customers, let's say your first 100 customers, you should spend the first 100 days of the relationship doing anything within your control to over-exceed their expectations. Because it's those people that are going to be like such uh, champions of your brand for life, right? Um, and I'd even extend that even further, right? Like, I'd say, you know, those first 
crucial customers that you get, um, you should really go beyond their expectations for as long as their customers altogether. Um, like there is a lot of buy salads users that I still know. Of. Like I know their user IDs from the, the early days, right? Like I can tell you that uh, you know Collis from Envato is user ID one six one and three three four two. You know I can tell you that uh, David from Logopond is forty one. You know like um, so I think having those really close connections with those initial users who should be users that are like the perfect fit for your product um, is very very critical. And you know we have. Um, I was just actually, I have a great example of this. So yesterday I was down in New York City, and the only reason why I went to New York City was to meet with um, some of the folks from Pando Daily um, because they're using one of our products. We're not charging them to use our product, um, but they're one of the initial users that is helping us prove out the need for the product. And you know, she asked me, she said, like, why, why are you guys doing this? And I was just like, well, you know, it's because, like, we have to do this. Like, this is all part of building a product. Like, you have to have those people that get absolutely pampered, um, that you make absolute certainty that they're getting the proper use and a great experience out of your product. And, like, you've just got to do whatever it takes to keep them happy, you know? And if me taking a full day out of buy sell ads and, let's say, 500 bucks for the train ticket, cabs, et cetera, to go down to New York just to take one one-hour meeting is what it takes to you know have a face-to-face -face and and make sure that they feel comfortable about the product. You, you just got to do it like that's just part of um, building any business. You have to go way beyond for those initial users. Yeah, I think the key takeaway here is it sounds like customer service is going all in with it, right? Yeah, really, you can't fake it. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, people can people can detect customer service and so like good customer service, and they talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the second part is, you know, really, when you're opening up or, you know, trying to grow your product, you are looking to do stuff that doesn't scale, right? You know, Paul yeah. Graham talked about that. Um, and it really does seem that way. In the first hundred, your first thousand users, you just really got to go through stuff and sell stuff on your own. And people can say, they're not a salesman or whatever, but they really just got to suck it up and do it, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and you know, um, uh, Jason Fried had an article about this in Inc. Magazine the other day, too. And he's like... Uh, Right, like meeting someone face to face in person and actually doing that sale is an incredibly valuable thing to do. Even as like CEO or whatever, you know, however important you are, like those being able to sell your product face to face is incredibly important um, because you just get such great feedback, you know. Yeah. So totally. So you know, the first hundred customers we talked about already. Like, how are you guys uh, mainly acquiring customers nowadays? So luckily. Um, you know, with the Bicelot's product, there's a certain amount of uh, virality built into it. Um, and I think that's crucial for any, any company who plans to be bootstrapped um, and have like a small team. Um, you know, your product has to have some viral element. For us, the viral element is what we're actually selling in the first place, which is the advertising. So let's say, for example, you're, you have a, a blog and you sell ads on that blog. And then one of the blogs that you compete with is selling ads through us. And you know you check out their site all the time, and so you notice like, oh wow, they're actually making some good money. How are they doing? So um, you know the, the the viral piece of what we do is um, the actual ads that we're selling themselves. So if you're you're a, a blog and you see one of your competitors' blogs selling a bunch of ad space and making good money, um, naturally you're going to figure out where they made that money from. Um, and so my point is that like the the actual product we're selling, the advertising that we're selling on these publisher sites also 
is like marketing for us because it's us showing our results. Um, and so like, you know, to answer your question where we get the most of our customers from, it's from making sure that all of our existing customers are doing really well. Um, and that just happens to work well for us. So. It all seems to tie back to customer service, right? Yep. Cool. Um, so, you know, where do you see, you know, banner ads have been around since, like, the internet pretty much started, right? Um, you've been running buy-sell ads, and you have a lot of visibility into this. And, you know, obviously, you're starting different products and stuff like that. Where do you see banner ads in, like, five years? So, I think we're just going to continue to see people reinvent creatives. So, um, and by creative, I mean like a banner ad is a one form of creative. So I think, you know, we see a lot of uh, native ad companies popping up today. And, uh, we at Buy Sell Ads launched one called uh, Promoted. It's at promoted.com. Um, and, um, you know, basically all that we're doing is like the same thing for banners, but with a different looking ad unit. Um, so, I mean, I think it's good, right? Like, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the nice thing about banner ads is that they actually scale well. Like, you can buy a lot of them, and it's very easy to buy a lot of them. And for any advertiser um, that's actually looking to do things at scale, that's like the key element is that it actually does scale, regardless of you know how bad performance may be, and regardless of how easy it is for everybody to hate online advertising. One thing that works really, really well about it is that it's standardized and it scales. And so I think um, you know banner ads will just evolve to be more creative, um, whether that be more creative on the actual creative side, like the images and the interaction there with the banner unit, um, or the actual like format and style of the unit, um, becoming more like content and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think it'll just get more creative. Yeah. And, you know, this native advertising stuff, mobile advertising, all that, this is all very really interesting. So I totally agree with you that like, mm. you can see more creative stuff and hopefully it's more effective, right? Um, cool. So I'm going to wrap it up with uh, two more questions. So, okay. uh, what's one must-read book for entrepreneurs that you recommend? Um, you know, like uh, I, I know I've mentioned thirty-seven signals a couple times, so I don't want to come off as like uh, you know a, a poster boy. Um, but I mean, the the first like real book about startups that I read after Paul Graham's um, book, uh, or no, excuse me, it's his wife uh, Jessica's book. After that one that I read. Um, I read the, the book by Jason Fried. Um, I believe it was uh, Getting Real. Um, it was the one that they initially distributed online as like a PDF or uh, HTML or whatever. Yeah, lovely stuff. I think Getting um, Real and Rework. That's the. Yeah, it's very practical. And I think that's what, what's missing in a lot of um, advice online today is like practical advice. Um, and so any time I read something that feels practical, it feels right. So and what's one must use tool that or productivity tool, whatever that you use Um let's see. Well um you know I think uh, uh you know if you're not like a very very technical founder um you know, probably like the core tool you're not using from the beginning is something like subversion or uh, git. Um, so I, I quite honestly, I just say version control. Like the first year of Bicelot software that was out in the wild was not under version control. I was doing live updates on the production server and stupid things like that. Um, luckily, nothing ever went wrong. But I just said, you know, version control should be your your ultimate productivity tool uh, for any product company. Which I mean, these days is uh, 
That advice is probably outdated, so. <laughs> and that brings up another good, like, final question here um, to close it off. So, you know, obviously you, you, you built the product yourself and all that, but at what point do you have to pull yourself away from coding? So, for me, that was, I mean, I still, I still commit code. Um, I think the team tries to prevent me from committing as much code as possible, um, which is a good thing. Um, but I think, you know, um, I, I mean, I don't know. i got to say, like, you know, I feel as though the founders should always be involved in product. Like, if you're a product company and you have a vision for a product that you're, you're you know, trying to, to build upon, like, and you're a founder, you, you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to be involved in that product. And, um, you know, I'd even like to go, go as far as uh, saying you've got to Marissa Mayer that product to death. You know, like, you need to obsess over the details because once you start to let that go, um, there's no way that you know that your vision is being, you know, completely built out the way that you're trying to get it built. So, Really good advice. Uh, so, you know, Todd, uh, thanks for spending your time with us. Yeah, this is really helpful information. Um, and then hopefully we can uh, connect again soon. Well, yeah, Eric, thank you very much as well. Take care.